HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by the Christmas Tree Farmers Association of New York, partnering with Grow NYC on a pilot project to make farm fresh trees and wreaths available at green markets. For more information, visit christmastreesny.org. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Irway. And, uh, you know, it's a lazy Sunday, the week after Thanksgiving. And I, for one, am really glad that there's not a mouthwatering cookbook in front of me right now with the author tantalizing me with all the details because um, I just overate. Um, So... Instead, I'm talking with the lovely author, Eve Tarot in the Hi. station. Hi. And she has written a really great academic study about um, food. <laughs> and it's called A Taste of Generation Yum, How, millennial, How the Millennial Generation's Love for Organic Fare, Celebrity Chefs, and Microbrews Will Make or Break the Future of Food. Yep. It's a, it is a mouthful. It, <laughs> it, yeah. But um, yeah. Well, thanks for joining us here, Eve. Yeah, and for um, thank you so much for writing this book. I got to say, um, you did so much research to come to these conclusions, whereas a lot of the times, like, I, I have these, like, anecdotes like observations that I wish I could yep. prove. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that's pretty much how I felt. And so I had this overarching question, you know, living in New York City, especially mm-hmm. seeing how food is now a new form of social currency. People yeah. are talking about chefs and restaurants. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, well, why the heck are all of these recession dented young people uh, spending their discretionary income on food? Mm-hmm. And the, the like you know conversations I was having with friends really was just an impetus to dig a little bit deeper and see what kind of research did exist and mm-hmm. also continuing to have those conversations with other people. Yeah, I thought it was interesting because um, similar to kind of when I was starting to write um, a food blog back in t- 2006, I was at first really fascinated um, about all the conversation about restaurants and chefs and I was totally in it. And then I was like, why am I spending so much money on 
restaurants. And, <laughs> and then I started to look at, about like all the details about where food is com- coming from, how it's made. And this is kind of like the, it sounds like that's where you, you took your research with the book too. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, for a lot of journalists or, you know, creative nonfiction writers, it's, um, a little selfish always, you know, your research, if you're going to get into something enough to want to write a book about it, you have to be personally invested. Um, and literally that's, hungry for it. Yeah. 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 just like a bizarre, it became a bizarre obsession. I thought mm-hmm. it was going to be an article. And then as I continued to dig and learn, I just got more and more interested and kept, um, kind of unraveling these complexities about our generation that, that it ended up getting into more of, of a psychological, emotional space that I hadn't really anticipated. Wow. Um, so you found that, well, first, first and foremost, that today's youngsters or millennials are more obsessed with food than ever. And you attribute that sort of to media and what else? Yeah. I mean, so on the surface, right, there's a few things that you think of when you think of millennials, you think of a broke, right? So we graduated for the most part. Yeah. Debt, trillion dollars in student Mm -hmm. loan debt in the the United States. Um, we don't really trust our government institutions and that's, that's around the world. Like you're seeing that even with like the Arab spring or in Europe with the recession there. So it's not just a U.S. specific Mm thing. Um, but we're also the first generation that's grown up in the technological space. Right. So we're access to info. Yeah. Yeah. And so when people think of millennials, they think of us as narcissistic and lazy and in debt. But the truth is that, you know, there's a lot more to us that that makes us a unique subject to study and also as a sign of everything that's to come. Mm -hmm. You know, we grew up with one foot in, one foot out of the technological boom. So I grew up learning the Dewey Decimal System in the library. Mm -hmm. And then after that, you know, had my typing class and learned how to make, you know, a baller uh, PowerPoint presentation. Right. And so now people are lamenting the effect. (laughs) Well, not in my world, but yeah. Okay. (laughs) Anyone who does any pitches or anything in ad world now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Everything is still PowerPoint, which surprises me. Honestly, it's like, right. We didn't get past that. Um, Um, but so it really surprised me just how directly correlated our relationship with food is to the rise in technology and almost like an emotional reaction to being constantly connected to our devices instead of being connected to one another or one of some of the most basic things about what makes us human, which is, you know, where our food comes from mm-hmm. and how we eat. Yeah, I, I'm trying to like figure out how that like how that leap comes because I know that, um, you know, you mentioned, uh, early on that it's like, there's a lot of Instagramming of food and like kind of fetishizing it as this commercial like thing and obsession. Um, but, but that somehow you're saying that somehow leads to like a deeper emotional connection. Well, so with it. there's yeah, I mean, yeah. there's a lot of different elements at play. So one of it is that at the beginning, I thought, well, are we really so narcissistic? Everyone says that about mm-hmm. us, right? The selfie, and, yeah, yeah. And after four years of research, I can say yes, we are that narcissistic. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I don't really blame us for it because we've grown up in this time where self branding is everything, uh-huh. right? You need to brand yourself certain like in a specific way on OkCupid to get a date, a different way on LinkedIn to get a job a different mm-hmm. way on Facebook to show your friends how great you are mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and we are thinking about ourselves and the way that we represent ourselves all the time right so as a kid it's not just about what you're wearing to school it's about what you've posted on your Instagram account or what someone has commented on your account and 
you're thinking about yourself right. all the time. And now that food has become imbued with all of these other labels, like organic, uh, fair trade, anything like that, the minute that you take a picture of it and place it online, it becomes a part, a part of your of personal you. brand and, a, and it becomes a representation of your values. Wow. I never thought, yeah. I mean, it's very true that... Um you know, we identify it. Food is what you eat is like the oldest yep. <laughs> like adage in the even world. online, <laughs> even online. But do you think that people? Do you think that young? I, I guess I'm a millennial, but I'm an old one. <laughs> um, do you think that we um, care more about uh, the perception of like? Being, I guess, a good eater and good Samaritan yeah. rather than I mean, the so actual that, reality. That's, that's like my my main worry. So like I I came at this, I think from honestly a pretty superficial standpoint at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I want to understand why I'm taking pictures of food or why I bother talking to my friends about the latest restaurant openings. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end of my research, started to get a little depressed because I started to pay more attention to things like climate change or the farm bill and farm subsidies right. and. And, um, you know, food policy um, actually for the farm workers. And at the end of the book, I, I do, I call Michael Pollan. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, of course, fascinating and interesting and knows so much on this topic and really said to him, like, are is our interest just on a surface level or will this Vanity, generation yeah. to kind of take up the torch also of food policy not just, you know, pork belly bow and ramen um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to really change the food system. Like, will this passion ever um, translate into something bigger? Okay. What did he say? Well, <laughs> um, you know, he said he wasn't sure. And yeah. then he said it was possible. So, you know, it's we had a, a, a pretty in-depth conversation about it. And, you know, of course, if anyone's super interested, you can you can read the book on it. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, really, he started talking about the complexities of the food movement. And the fact that we're going to need um, more of like a, a cohesive theme mm-hmm. for millennials to um, kind of latch onto. And my main conclusion, honestly, from it was that if we want to make food policy something that's going to become as popular as David Chang, right? Then we're going to have to make it something that millennials want Can to, grasp. yeah, to yeah. make a part of their personal brand. Mm-hmm. Where so like, true. Yeah. If there's something like like food waste. I think is going to be huge in 2016, mm-hmm. um, and part of that's going to be because. Dan Barber has made it cool. Roy Choi is making it cool. I love that. Yeah, those um, waste dinners. Yeah. yeah, and like it's you can totally pin like a recipe but, for cauliflower stems. I guess so. It sounds like we're more motivated by what's cool than what's really scary and important and urgent and well, like needs cl- to get done. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, I think the whole world like climate change is really yeah. hard to grasp. Right, because it's like it's completely intangible. It's happening at such a slow rate. And it's rate. also a little depressing. I know yeah. you can like dabble in it and look look at some, you know, the first paragraph of some stories, and then just really throw your hands up. Right, and then you're like, oh my god, should I even bother having kids? I mean, that's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like what world are we going to? I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. but you know, one of the amazing things about food, and this is really a core theme of my book, is that it, it puts us in the driver's seat. Mm. So we're a generation that really feels out of control in so many ways. We don't feel like we have have control over necessarily the environment, over politics, over whether or not we can get a job. We don't trust our technologies, right? We're in this whole other era of not really understanding anything around us. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't really know how the internet works. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really, like, I don't know if I've been hacked or not. I don't know if yeah. someone's posted something nasty about me. I don't understand, like, how so many of the gadgets in my kitchen work. Um, there's so many intangibles. Yeah. But food 
puts us back in the driver's seat. And that's also why you're seeing this call today for labeling, labeling, right? Mm -hmm. People want to know what's in their food. They want labels that are very simple. Um, they want to get to know their farmers. They want to start to form relationships. And it's almost like this backwards regression. So in some ways, I think if you can um, amplify food policy in some way that is emphasizing relationship building, mm-hmm. putting you back in control of your environment and what you eat, then I really think that it could become, you know, the major movement of our generation. You know, our parents had civil rights movement. I really do think that that food policy could become ours. Absolutely. And, and with like all the revelations of how much the food system has changed too with industrialization yeah. and globalization, <laughs> which you notice that like there is that need for control that I find like a lot of people yeah. take to the, you know, grocery store aisles yeah. and so forth. Um, so the, the levels of anxiety and depression, yeah, exactly. I think, among our generation was really, um, I hadn't, I didn't think that this research was going to take me there. And it turns out that our relationship with food is really directly related to mm. that kind of um, psychological stance that we're in right now. So interesting. Um, We're going to talk a lot more about these insights, and we're just going to cut to a quick little commercial interlude and be right back. Ever wonder where your Christmas tree came from? Now you don't have to. New York State-grown Christmas trees are now available in New York City. Trees grown on farms here in New York State are harvested just a few days before arriving to the city. Trees cut close to home stay fresh longer. And trees cut close to home travel less, which reduces fuel consumption of delivery vehicles. Did you know that buying a real tree helps to sustain agriculture in New York State by supporting local farmers and keeping important open space and agriculture production? The Christmas Tree Farmers Association of New York is partnering with Grow NYC on a pilot project to make farm fresh trees and wreaths available at green markets in Brooklyn, Queens, and Manhattan. So when you shop local this holiday season, you can include the tree in that list. For more information and a full list of locations, visit christmastreesny.org. Hello, I'm Alice Marcus Creek. And I'm Carmen DeVito. And we're the ladies of We, we Dig, Dig Plants. Plants. And today we're asking you to dig deep into your pockets and help us grow this radio station and our podcast and everything that you know and love about us. How do you do it? You go to the heritageradionetwork.org website. You will see a beating heart. It's on every page. And you can give a dollar. You can give $5. You can give whatever $500. You, $500, $5,000. Just click on the heart, donate, and help support the radio that you love. All right, we're back chatting with Eve Tarot, the author of A Taste of Generation Yum. Um, thanks so much for joining us. Um, so it sounds to me like, you know, when you first delved into this research, um, food is sort of a gateway to so many other facets about our modern culture. Is that what you felt? Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, a lot of people look at this book and they say, oh, you wrote about food culture. And it's like, well, no, I really 
looked at the millennial generation through the lens of food. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, our parents use their discretionary income on drugs and rock and roll. And we're using that money on like truffle cheese. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so it makes sense to, to really, you know, dig into a, a generation by looking at where we're spending our extra time and our extra money, especially when we should be saving it to pay rent or, you know, right. move out of our parents' houses or something like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it has reached an all time high. Do you see this as like a trend that might wane or? What do you think is the next food or rock and roll or yeah. drug? No, I mean it's a really it's a really good question. So the reason that food according according to me uh-huh. <laughs> um, has become um, the passion of this generation is because it's satisfying four distinct things for us, which is it's giving us a little bit more control. Okay. It's something tangible. Mhm. Um it's illicit it it engages all of our senses, so sensory mm. stimulation, mm-hmm. and then it's also encouraging of community. Yeah, so, social, recreational. Right, okay. right. But there's several things. I call this like the anti-technology. There's several things that can be the anti-technology. So you're also seeing a rise in like adult coloring books. Oh, yeah. Right. So that's like, <laughs> knitting, too. Yeah. And like the whole maker movement. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of that is about like creating something that actually, I mean, think about if you meet someone nowadays and they're like, yeah, I'm a furniture maker or I'm a plumber or like, it's like, whoa, you make like, things. You can You're actually cool. do something. And you probably wear overalls. And- <laughs> yeah. yeah. But there's something like really like sexy and, you know, exciting totally. about that kind of tangible um, item or, yeah. you know, so it's possible that something else will arise that satisfies those needs for this generation. That said, um, I think it's really exciting right now to see what's happening, even with Gen Zers or digital natives, whatever. Yes. These, you know, this this step younger mm-hmm. um, is experiencing because they are engaging with food in a way that no generation has before. They have so it's, much, yeah, media about food. Mm-hmm. Right. It's the media that's already there, right? But they're also growing up with parents who are already aware of organics and maybe are cooking it. Um, dinner at home a little bit more like I grew up with a lot of processed food I mean my mom loved to cook but I still you know ate spaghettios mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know and had tacos made with taco spice mix packets and yeah. stuff like that um, and you know if if a lot of the theories in my book maintain their veracity then yep. as people's lives become even more infused with technology they're craving for something that is the absolute opposite of that is going to continue you know this must be very chilling for like the major food conglomerate corporations right now i mean already they're they're suffering um you know mcdonald's is losing profits like crazy yeah big food is is really gonna have to shift in a really significant way um in order to maintain um, it's it's footing, and that's because you're seeing um, kind of the simmering of a new food movement, of an mm-hmm. alternate food movement. And it's possible that if big food does not take charge, that there is something else that could come up and replace them. That said, uh, I am relying in some way on big food to make these changes to yeah. save the food movement in a lot of different ways. And how successful do you? Do you do you think or do you know um, ha, the like attempts to sort of slap an organic label yeah. on something? And I know that they comply with whatever that means. But like, say, like you know, organic Doritos, like right. is that working right, right well, now? Well, so it's it's really interesting. So the book came out. My book came out in July. Um, I, the response to it has been much uh, bigger than I had anticipated, and and part of the response that I hadn't. Um, 
expected was big food companies who are now reaching out and saying, you know, yeah. what should we be doing? Which oh, is yeah. great. So that, you know, I have a sounding board and can talk to people at that level. Um, but a lot of the conversations are about, you know, not just making the organic Dorito. It's about mm-hmm. almost shifting like a profile entirely or brand yeah. profile entirely. Um, but there was actually, there was, a, there was a great piece in the New York Times recently about Unilever that's trying to make this shift. And part of it is right what is sustainable? Sustainability doesn't have an overarching definition. So then criteria, right? So you can kind of skirt around it in different ways. And the other part of it is that big food took, you know, decades to grow. And now they have these processes for distribution, the relationship with their farmers. Um, And in order to change a product, it requires a shifting of so many different pieces and parts for these companies that have, you know, 300,000 employees. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't mean it's impossible. Mm-hmm. And and these larger food companies are starting to understand the ramifications of not delivering on what this millennial generation wants and needs because we have there's so many of us and we have such an amazing spending power. And this food trend is not U.S. specific. So this is happening in India. This is happening in China, in Spain, in Australia, in New Zealand. Well, for sure, because there's a lot of food, you know, toxic scares right. around the world, too, and right. safety issues, I guess. Yeah. yeah. But it's almost any developed city. Mm-hmm. You're seeing young people creating awesome new food delivery apps <laughs> or um, even like the Blue Apron concept that started in Europe. And now there is even a version of it in China. There's tons. Um, yeah. So it's really exciting. And I, I, I am actually optimistic. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you think Big Food is going to do? Acquire smaller companies? That's part of it. Okay. Um, I've, yeah. Doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So you're already uh, seeing that happen, right? General Mills bought Annie's. Yep. Um, organic last year. Um, Unilever, um, I think, has started buying up smaller. Oh, I, was, I was thinking that they, that they were bought Hampton Creek, but they didn't. They sued Hampton oh, yes, Creek. They, I remember that. <laughs> that was a they, great they, little... They did the opposite. That was a really bad PR move on their part. Spat, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do think that these smaller companies are... Good. Oh, Ben & Jerry's got bought. Not that mm-hmm. that's organic. Cashew is bought a while yeah. ago. Um, um, so I think that that's part okay. of it. I do think that actual farming practices are starting to change. So in Iowa, the farmers themselves are taking it upon themselves to start to... Um, Implement, yeah. Right. They're, uh, they're understanding the importance of, of utilizing cover crops and other things that are going to reduce the amount of herbicide and pesticide. That's great. Um, one of the biggest things I think that young people can be doing today that they're not necessarily is bringing up the farm bill as a voting issue. Mm-hmm. So we now have the presidential debates happening. It's, you know, kind of a sticky subject because there are so many farmers in the U.S., especially in Iowa. Um, but the way that we subsidize certain crops in the U.S. could shift big food immensely. So right now, so they're, if we just mobilize. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've heard from big food that if they wanted to go all organic, there aren't enough organic farms in the United States to be producing what they'd want to produce. Right. And you hear that a lot. Yeah. And so that, you know, what controls that is, is the government saying, we'll support organic farmers, we'll subsidize you, we'll cover you, almost give you like a crop insurance if your crop fails. So right now they do that for corn and soybean farmers. So what can we do? So how do we, okay, spread the word about the farm yeah. bill. So we like a 
I, demand it, you know, yeah. to make it an- a great website mm-hmm. is actually pioneered by Tom Colicchio, chef, um, called Food Policy Action. Oh, right. Okay. I yeah, highly recommend you go check out Food Policy Action. They give every congressman and senator a rating mm-hmm. based on how they voted on food policy. I would say any of these future, right, we have a whole year left ahead of these presidential debates. <laughs> you know, they're, they're now taking questions on Twitter and on Facebook. I, I say, you know, log online whenever those are happening and just get as many tweets out as possible that are about food that will hopefully force these major media networks to ask actually ask those questions. If they realize that that's a question we want answered, mm-hmm. then they're going to address it. All right. Keep asking. And then hopefully, so I guess the, the effect is that once these, I guess, farming practices um, are feasible, right. then exactly. the larger companies can comply. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. Um, I forgot what I was going to say next. <laughs> but, uh, this is really, really exciting. Um, and I guess that's about all the time we have yeah. today. But thank you so much for joining us, Eve. Yeah. And um, I'm really excited to, you know, have something to hold and say, you know, this generation is really thinking about food a lot, a lot more deep. Yeah. So. Yeah. Thank all you right. so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Excellent work. Um, we'll see everyone next week on Eat Your Words. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.